Before the next episode of XJob Downloaded starts, I have a big favour to ask. If you've enjoyed any of our episodes so far, please can you click on the follow button on your platform. I'm on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon and YouTube. It costs nothing to follow, but makes a real difference to me as a podcast producer. Thank you. This interview is being tape recorded. My name is Paul Leary. This is X Job Downloaded, and today it's our intention to interview Neil Baldock. Good morning, Neil. Morning, Paul. Lovely to see you, mate. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having us here on this snowy December day. I mean, you're in an ideal location here to get to the to the pubs and the shops. To be fair, yeah, that's right. Yeah, funny enough, we don't spend enough time in the pub these no, days. But yeah. no, things have changed. Well, the, you know, the world's the world's changed around socialising and. Um, and of course, money's tight. You know, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're going to talk about business today, but we're very cognizant as business people that people want the best deal that they can possibly get. Yeah, definitely. I think now more than ever, people are looking uh, for value, aren't they, out of everything, and um, definitely sort of like reviewing their options in terms of their spending. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll come on to that later on in the interview, um, mate. You were a police officer. We work together, and a lot of people don't actually realise you're in the old bill. No, that's right. Well, it's been a while now, I think, isn't it? Because I think I left in uh, 2014, um, joined in 2008, and um, yeah, at the time, I think you were detective inspector at Brentwood, weren't you? I was, I w- and I wasn't always grumpy. No, 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 I, I got on very well with you, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't afraid to come into the no. CID office. No, that's good. What was your motivation to join the police? Well, at the time, I was... Um, I was working security, so I was running a door company, like a door security firm. Uh, I was like an area manager for that. So I was working five nights a week on the door um, and also five days a week like in the office organising the running of that. And um, at the time, I just thought I need a proper career. Like I was, I think I was 25-ish, um, and I just saw the police as like a move on from security and to give me like yeah proper career really with a, a, a sort of a, a long term future, um, so I applied for the police and thankfully got in. Yeah, and the, you know I know you you did six years or so, but you you did well in it. You were well respected within within the police service. Were you only at Brentwood or where else did you go to? Yes, I started or did the sort of. Um, PDU, I think they called it at the time, didn't they, at uh, Loughton, then got posted to Brentwood. Um, and yeah, I'm really like fond of the Brentwood days, actually, because that's obviously where I started and met some of my best mates and stuff like that. And then um, there was a reform, I think they called it, and I got posted out to Basildon, uh, started at Pitsy as a neighbourhood officer, and then ended my career um, as a, I can't remember what they called it at the time, but it was like an investigation unit, basically, um, at Basildon. Did you enjoy your time in the police service? Yeah, I did, I did. I did enjoy it um, mostly. I had a sort of a bit of a bad start to it because I got suspended in my probation. Did you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we can talk about that. <laughs> uh, that was a sugar, sugar hut incident, if you remember it. I don't know, but um, we'll t- we can talk about that. Yeah, no, go, listen, so, go for it now, mate. It's, uh, now is the time. Yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, it was within the first six months of my career, um, 
the sugar hut was on fire basically which was like the main thing in um, The Only Way is Essex yeah. so there was a lot of press attention around it um, the singer Pixie Lot was having her birthday party there <laughs> so again there was BBC cameras outside everything like this and then what happened was um, I think O'Neill's was the pub and they asked us to help them removing uh, a big party that was causing problems and that's that kind of thing so yeah we went in helped them and the door staff remove this, this and the, this lovely gentleman kicked off as they do um you know and i'm not a small i'm not no, a small not. chap i've noticed <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um you know basically there was three of us we just couldn't control this fella so there's obviously something going on there in terms of drug use and, and whatever yeah. else um but essentially, cut a long story short, he got sprayed in the face very close range by a colleague of mine yeah. um, with CS spray. Yeah. Um, it looked worse than it was at the time because there was a lot of uh, there was blood going everywhere from his nose. Um, he was being pinned down on a on the front of the bonnet of the police car, and of course, there's a BBC cameraman. Mm thinking he's writing his own paycheck here, absolutely loving life. So he's videoed the whole thing. Of course, that goes on the media, everything else. Um, three of us get suspended. Uh, no, put on restricted duties first of all, yeah. and then um, then suspended after that. Um, we went through a whole IPCC investigation. I think my interview was the shortest out of the three of us, and that was five hours long. Wow. Um, so, yeah, really felt like we were sort of... Under the cosh. Under the cosh and... and hauled through the coals um, only to be found no further action required because when you looked at the CCTV from the other angle yeah. um, you could see this bloke lifting me clean off the ground throwing me around on his he back he must have been very strong that's all I'll well, say that's what I'm saying <laughs> yeah so um, so that's sort of tainted the start of my career a little bit to be so, honest so let's go back to that because I mean I know the incident and I, I, I forgot that you were actually involved in it I, was, I think I was a staff officer for uh, Tim Stokes at the time but it's quite daunting, isn't it? When you're, when you're, um, forget the incident, yeah, but when you are being investigated by professional standards or the IPCC, it's very daunting when, even when you've done 30 years, but when you've, when you're in your first six months of, of your service, that is quite overwhelming. Yeah. And, um, to be honest, I just have a little shiver come over myself uh, talking about it because, you know, you can laugh about it now. But at the time it was, it was really quite yeah. scary. And um, like I remember, because it went all out on the in the, in the news and the press, I even had, like, had a phone call from my mum saying, like, oh, oh Neil, I've just seen this. Like, they said uh, three officers have been suspended. Is it you? And I thought I didn't even get the chance to tell my own mum. Mm what was happening before it's out on the news. So, yeah, it was it was scary. And I must admit, I I felt like we weren't looked after by the organisation. Um, I, I did feel looked after by, like, yourself and Tim Stokes and, like, the local yeah. local command. Um, you know, and it was made very clear to us that, yeah, we, we sort of I, bit I, behind I, you, but yeah, on, I, on an organisational level, um, I did feel like we were thrown to the wolves a bit. Yeah, you'd already been convicted before you'd even got to the stage of... of- of being interviewed that's that was Absolutely. you know you'd had trial by media and i have to say that um you know you you had some great supporters there from from your local command but your the feelings of being interviewed and, mm. and i mean i started this interview with this interview's been tape recorded <laughs> yeah. but i've been interviewed you know every, everybody gets complaints but when they give you that caution it's unnerving because actually it's a, the caution that you give to suspects 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and you, to be cautioned and told that you don't have to say anything, but it may harm your defence if you fail to mention when question something later in line in court, that unnerves you because you know you've done nothing wrong. Yeah, that's right. I mean, ultimately, you know you're only doing your job. And, um, yeah, to be given the caution that you're giving out on a day-to-day basis, it does give you a weird feeling. Yeah. And I think going back to you a bit about the media with the, with the BBC accepting that that person's doing their job, but you just wish that the police or the IPCC, IOPC, you wish that they would release some of this other footage. You wish they'd have released the O'Neill's footage at the same time just to mitigate and negate and show exactly why that person was sprayed. Because otherwise, for 10 months or however long it takes to be investigated the public see one side of it and they just see the side that the, the local media, the BBC, have, have done. Yeah, yeah. No, 100%. And I think um, that's the problem, isn't it? Because that doesn't... The other side of it doesn't tell a story. Um, and, and so the, the media aren't interested in telling that to the public. But that's what does the reputational damage to the police. Yeah. Um, and that's probably what discourages people from staying in the job yeah. or, or even joining the job these days, which I think is sad because, um, you know, it, 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 or it was a good job. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, I did 30 years and I, I would absolutely, I'd do it again if I was doing it under the same circumstances that I did it previously. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure I like what's happened, but that's progress in the same way my dad, my dad joined in the late 60s. There were people that were had been in, you know, they fought in the Second World War, yeah. and he was he. They were just retiring, and he was just joining. And they would have said to him that you know the, the job had had it. So, how long were you suspended for? So, I think in total it was around five months, something like that. Wow. Yeah. So, I think we went on restricted duties for a couple of months, and then the suspension came, and yeah, five five ish months. So and from a mental health perspective, I think people don't understand that you are a police officer. From from your own mental perspective, that hurts. It really does start to get you down, doesn't it? When when you know that the, the next meeting you're going to have with a police officer, one will be your federation friend or it will be a member of PSD or the IOPC. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting you sort of mentioned the mental health side because nowadays that's quite prevalent and we're all talking about it and we're yeah. all supporting each other. But even back then... Um, Which isn't that long and ago. It isn't that long ago. We're not even uh, 10 years ago, is it? But it wasn't really talked about so much. And I think that wasn't really a discussion that was sort of had with us. It was just, no. you know... I remember one, of the, one of my biggest memories from that was... Um, my custody skipper at the time, Paul Jarvis, um, great guy, great, fellow, yeah. yeah, like so much support for our shift. Um, you know, he's like the dad of the shift. Like you just could not fault the bloke. Yeah. Um, and he even had to apologise to me for this because he was only doing his job. But I remember when I got suspended, I had some stuff in my locker, so I had to come down the police mm. station get escorted in. And then as I left, um, and you remember Brentwood, I had to walk out like the custody door. Yeah. And I sort of, as I was leaving the door, I turned around and Jarvo was still there, sort of stood there looking at me. And I said, oh, are you all right, Sarge? And he said, yeah, I'm really sorry, Neil, but like, I have to make sure you like leave the premises. And I thought to myself, yeah, no, fair enough. Um, but like that hurt, do you know what I mean? Because that oh, was yeah. a place that I was going into daily, doing my job. Yeah. Um, 
And of course, I wasn't allowed in anymore. No, and I, and I've been the escorting officer when I worked for for Tim, and a few of the others, uh, Simon Williams, and you know, a few of the other. If someone got suspended, and let me tell you that suspended somebody isn't done lightly. Um, I was I was the one that escorted people off the premises. You know, get their staff personal effects, yeah. whatever, and, and leave. Um, that's that was hard for me as well because some of these people were my friends as well. Yeah, but it's a, it's um. It's business. I mean, as, as the Godfather would say, you know, Don Corleone is just business yeah. because it's not personal. Although I have to say, there are some people in our former um, employee, our former employee, who would see it as personal and would do their absolute ultimate to cause you or I significant problems to make themselves mm. look better, which is a real shame. But that's life. Yeah, that's life. And I think that's part of. Um, one of the things I didn't get on with in the police with the politics and um, the way I could see some people wanting to further their career by doing others a disservice and yeah. down. And that's just something I can't handle. It's not, you know, I wouldn't stand for it in my own company. I just, it's just not me. No. Um, I think people get promoted on their merits and, yeah, absolutely. and their work ethic and everything else. And um, that, yeah, but I guess that's probably a problem in any big organisation. Yeah, it is. And I, and I had the unenviable um, task of having to arrest the colleague. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And that was something that they'd done, not something that I'd done. Mm. And I'd actually done everything I can or could to prevent that arrest from taking place. And even to this day, um, that individual just completely blanks me because it's my, it wasn't my fault. I didn't get involved in the domestic with his other half. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, were just doing your job. I was yeah. just doing my job. You know, I was a temporary chief inspector at the time and um, these things aren't done lightly. And he was a friend. Yeah. But, you, have to, you know, your job's your job and that's how, without fear or favour, that's how you do it. So you've, you've done... You've done Brentwood. You're back at work now. Yeah, yeah. How long before you go to Basildon? Um, probably a couple of years before I then got sent to Basildon, yeah. Um, so I did. I had a good time at Brentwood, you know. I had a really good time. Um, at Brentwood, it's, it's good to discuss Brentwood and Basildon because they're two sort of like completely opposing places. Yeah. I always say to people, in Brentwood, as a police officer, I could knock on the door, say hello and get a complaint for it. In Basildon, I knocked on the door... They say you're not coming in and you walk in and it's all fine. It's like, it's a total different yeah, kind absolutely. of atmosphere. But I did have good times in Brentwood. I was on sea uh, shift response shift at Brentwood. Um, like we crossed over with a couple of good shifts. And the thing is with Brentwood, you've got like the town itself, but then all the outlying villages. And I was a neighbourhood officer after I did response. I then went on to the neighbourhood team. Uh, and I was neighbourhood officer for Pilgrim's Hatch, Kelvedon Hatch, oh, Doddinghurst. Nice. So there's a lot of different like challenges out there. It's kind of an interesting place to work. Um, so you've got sort of a little bit of rural side of it as well as... Yeah. I mean, my favourite stuff, because, yeah, I used to be a doorman before I was a police officer, my favourite stuff is policing the town centre yeah. on a Friday and Saturday yeah. night. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was a, a good Christmas variety. Eve? Didn't I turn up at Christmas Eve where you were working once? Yeah, I think you did. I think there was a curry going on or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I remember that. The... But no, you're right. I mean, Brentwood, I loved working in Brentwood and the, the public are very demanding. Let's, yeah. let's say that. I mean, they are very, very demanding and um, there's some great people there. Uh, of course, the, the PCC is a, a Brentwood politician. So, um, yeah, so it, it is, they're very demanding and they know, know what they want and they've got great expectations. It's interesting, though, that the PCC 
and the former chief constable, they were instrumental in the removal of the the police building there, which has been right, okay. now demolished and turned into residential pre- premises. Turned into flats, and the police are hold up with the council, aren't they? I think. Yeah, they yeah. are. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting concept. But anyway, we won't go down that one. Yeah. Um, so, two years before you. Any other highlights at Brentwood Wash? Are there any nice bits other than getting suspended? Any nice bits, yeah. <laughs> I think um, I just had a good time. It's like I had a really good shift I was working with. Good, um, I'd say Paul Jarvis was our custody skipper. He was good. And the, the ones either side of us, um, they were really good as well. It was just a good, like, it was a good team there. And it's a small enough nick to sort of know everyone. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And that's what I loved about it. Everyone knew everyone. Um you knew who was good, you knew who was bad. Yeah. And like, it was just a good place to work. And, and I think anyone who's listening to this, Brentwood, if you looked at a map, as you come out the police station and turn to your left, you could see the buildings of the, from the City of London. Yeah, yeah. Well, on a night shift, do you remember, you turn left out of the nick, on a night shift, you're going down the hill, you could literally see yeah, Canary yeah. Wharf, can't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's how close it is. So, that, And if you once you get to the roundabout, you're actually in the Met. Yeah. So you, you'd pick up a lot of customers, if you like, yeah. that, that would come across from, from the Met thinking they were going to get an easy touch, commit their burglaries, deal their drugs, dare I say it, have fights in the high street because the only, only <laughs> way is Essex. You know, it's, um, it, was, it was a great place to work. So what year did you go to Baz? I can't remember exactly, but it must have been... In fact, I can remember exactly, and I'll tell you why, because... 2012 I went because that was when my son was born right and I've just remembered he was born when just after I started at Pitsy oh, okay. Nick yeah so must have been literally around May 2012 I then went to Basildon um, or to Pitsy I should say and because uh, they had they had a, a nick in Pitsy and then one in Baz Town Centre um, and yeah again I sort of I was a bit put out because I didn't get it at the time. I was like, you wouldn't do this in business. You've got a team, teams that are operating really well together. Um, you've got people trained in certain things. And then, which obviously the company as the police have invested in to train them to do. Yeah. And then you go, oh, I'm just going to do this complete reform because whoever's now the chief constable decided that's, or, you know, I don't know if it was him or whoever's decided this has got to be done. So let's disband all these teams that know how to work together and have been trained and put them in other yeah. other jobs. It just doesn't make sense to me um, because you never do that in a like a day-to-day company, pay for everyone to do a certain job and then go, actually, I'm going to send you off and do something else. Well, it's interesting it? because it was a, a time of austerity. I mean, we had pay freezes. We're talking, talking about mm. um, we had pay freezes for a number of years in, in the police. And do you know what? No one cared about my pension until there was a recession. Yeah. And now it's, well, how much did you get as a pension? And, you know, people can become quite, um, not vile, but, you know, they're quite um, aggressive because they think what they fail to see is that actually I paid for a high percentage of my pension. I paid my national insurance. You know, I paid my taxes and I didn't work in cash. So when I get somebody who's giving me a hard time because they're driving around in their nice... Four before whatever, yeah. Um, yeah, I've paid all my dues. Thanks very much, and that's and that's what's lost. Um, but yeah, that's what reform was all about. Whether it was right or wrong, yeah, I've got a view on that as well, mate. And it's not dissimilar to yours. I think that um, going from 10, 10 divisions to three LPAs mm. was a retrograde step. And what we've actually done is we've stripped out a service and not replaced it properly. Oh, I agree. I mean, you can tell that by the lack of police officers 
everywhere, everywhere. Yeah, but um, it's just it's just uh, yeah. For me, I guess I've got a, a business mind, and I probably had it even when I was yeah. in the police without sort of knowing it. Um, just makes no sense to me. It's like that that was it for me. I just and things that don't make sense to me don't sort of sit well. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm quite um, I'm quite simple when it comes to things like this. Like if it don't work, then I'm going to make a change. Yeah. So you made your change. What was what was the inspiration to? Well, let's. What, what do you do now, Neil? What, what's your main stock and trade? Yeah, so I run um, an estate and a letting agency, basically called Charles David Casson in Chelmsford. Um, we cover the whole of Essex, really, with sales, lettings. Um, we specialise in a type of property management called HMO management, so it's like house shares, basically. Yeah. Houses of multiple occupation, um, but not like the ones we used to go and see in the oh, police. No. No, We're no, talking no. like high-quality professional house shares. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's my kind of day-to-day job. And then... Um, I've got some spin-offs of that as we're trying to grow the business. Uh, we've got like multiple different income streams, I suppose. And that's that's the thing, isn't it? Diversity in, in funding and income streams, that's the key to being successful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and we've seen that even just in our own business. Like, if you, if you only had an estate agency selling houses now... Oh, well, firstly, the pandemic and also now is not the best time for you because uh, you know, a lot of people are struggling to borrow money to buy houses, yeah. a lot of political uncertainty. And that uncertainty in the housing market is what causes price problems because people won't move when there's uncertainty. Um, so for our business, we actually want house prices either going up or down. It obviously, we don't really want house prices to go down, but from a business point of view, it doesn't matter because that's when there's movement in the market. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we've got to have, like, the letting side of the business is something we've really focused on because we saw that as basically what creates value in our business that we could actually sell at some point. Um but also it's cash flow, it's regular management income on a monthly basis. And then we just spot opportunities. So like, oh, we, we, we are going to franchise this business as well because um, that's a, a way to grow that... Um, like we've got, it's got me and my brother own the company, yeah. so it's not just me, me and my brother own it. And um, we've got a vision to basically improve the standards within the estate agency industry. Um, and one of the ways we can do that is by growing our brand, but also training other people to do things the way we like them to be done because we know it's good for the the end user of the public um so that's something we're doing franchising we're also got um a network of agents now who specialize in hmo management because again that's a sector that's got um a historically bad reputation of like bed sits and yeah. dives basically yeah so we're taking on like quality agents and helping them to grow their business because again that fits in with our vision of improving the industry and how many uh, people are you collaborating with at the moment because you, you do a membership uh, type thing don't you with, with them with them yeah so with the it's called the HMO network and um, yeah we've got 20 agents across the country now um, right from down in Cornwall along the south coast we've got a few in Kent around Essex uh, Man- uh, sorry not Manchester yet but uh, quite a few around Liverpool even into Wales so we've got them all over the country now so you're looking to expand that with other with you you want to work with other agencies basically and, and get them on board. Definitely, yeah, yeah. So one we we basically we're interested in speaking to any other estate and letting agencies across the country because there's some way we can help them, whether that's coming into our brand as a franchise, whether that's joining the HMO network if they're into that side of property management. Um 
whether that's helping them on a consultancy basis. But the other thing we're really doing, and we've done four, we're about to do a fifth, and then we want to do even more of this is actually acquisition, so acquiring other letting agencies. Right. Um, that's interesting. To build the business that way, yeah. And exciting. Yeah, it's really interesting as well. Like, it's, it's yeah, I love my day-to-day job selling and letting houses, but... Um, I like looking at businesses and seeing how we can solve problems or how we could add that into our business and create more profit out of it and employ more people and create more opportunities. Um, so, yeah, that's like that's the bit I love, really. Do you think being in the police service has helped you? I mean, you, you obviously had the entrepreneurial skills before you joined the police because you'd already run a, a business, but do you think that the police has, has assisted in your outlook? A hundred percent, yeah, especially in... Um, in property management. So I'd say that like the police has definitely helped because it's one, it gave me a network of people um, that I would never have had. You know, I was known to a lot of people because of works all over the county. You meet people, the police recommend to each other. Yeah. So we've done a lot of business with, with police officers or police staff. Um, so that's helped. But my outlook is definitely different to people that come and work for me. Um, and they love it because I can really help them with things people things the general public might panic about i do not (laughs) and and, and police officers in general do not because you know we're running a property management company here this is a hassle business i say so we've got people's boilers breaking down fridges breaking down all this kind of stuff um and they're very demanding about that but when i walk into the room and everyone's sort of going oh god it's busy today they've got this that i said my go-to saying is has anyone died exactly and um they say, what do you mean, Neil? And I said, well, no, has anyone died or has anyone just been stabbed in front of you or something terrible like that? And um, they say, no. I said, well, then we don't need to panic, do we? We can deal with this, like, slowly. Exactly. And I think the police, uh, police officers, actually, um, this is one thing that I speak to a lot of my friends about as well. They're looking to get out of the police and, they, you know, they've joined at 18, they don't know where else to go with it. Their skills are so transferable mm. into many different angles, but especially into the property world because you're dealing with a lot of emotional people a lot of the time because yeah. it's, their, it's their home. Um, and police officers just have all those, you know, resilience, problem-solving, compassion. Customer focus. Yeah, and, and actually the other thing is they're, they're action takers. So you say to a police officer, do this, and they go and get it done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they they are literally yeah point and shoot with one of a better word, but you you can yeah. point them in the right direction. And they go and do it. That's right, and that's uh, yeah. It's not the only reason. But that's one of the reasons I wanted to um, franchise this business because I'd love a route to give officers out of the yeah. job, or not even out of the job after the job, yeah. whatever the case may be. Um, you know, if there's people interested, because when you're looking to franchise a business, you're creating a structure and a set of processes that work if they're followed. Yeah. And of course, basically, people from the police or the armed forces, we're, we're great at following instructions. Yeah, absolutely. And working within a framework. Yeah. And putting that jigsaw puzzle together and, and putting the final piece in. And there are some really clever people that have joined the police. And I think that we're getting to a stage where. It's not the career I joined. Um, it's a it's a stepping stone to success. It really is because you know you're 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 busy. You're you know successful in in your field, and you're going to grow. Um, but you've utilised your skills within the police service that you've got from the police service to good effect. 
and and I think there are a number of people like you that could do that. But what they don't realise is there is an exit strategy. There is the ability to do what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. I think the trouble is when you're in the police, it's all about the police, isn't it? There is. Yeah. You're, you're in a bubble basically. Yeah, There's everywhere you look. It's you know you've got different. It's like with the police, you've got different routes of your career you can go down, but none of them. Obviously, promotion's a bit different, but none of them are going to like make you any more money or give you a different outlook. You're no. just going into different routes. Whereas when you step outside of the police, it's just opportunities everywhere. And then, like, like I can say, we've created like I call it like the Disney effect. So you got like Disney, and I didn't make that up by the way. I've no. stolen that. <laughs> but you know, we've basically created a in the middle is our sales and letting agency yeah. and then we're just pinging off little bits and pieces like franchising the HMO network yeah. um, coaching estate agents that kind of stuff because there are all the, but it all leads back into the same into thing the center, yeah. and I think that's there's so much you can do once you step outside of the police or look outside of the police but it's identifying um, it's like identifying a suspect Yes, yeah. You know, if you've got the skill set to identify a suspect and you've followed that path and you've, you know, you've, you've done your Sherlock Holmes bit, it's exactly the same because what you're trying to do is you're trying to find your way. And if you can do that and find your way to, to get in somebody who's committed a burglary, actually you can find your way to earning a few quid outside of the police yeah. service. Yeah, I think sometimes it's about, it's hard for people to repurpose those skills, isn't it, or re revision what they're doing. But I had a chat with... Um, like Jack Wardle is my best mate. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he, he's often looking, like, he's got two kids now. He sometimes thinks, what what would I do? What does life look like? Yeah, yeah what does it? And, and not necessarily at the minute because he's getting promoted and he's doing very well for himself. But, like, people, uh, and it's not just Jack, but lots of people talk to me about it. And I sort of say to them, but actually look at what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. Like, don't think of it as, like, I've gone and dealt with that firearms incident or I've gone and actually think what you've done there like I've dealt with a high pressure environment I've, yeah. I've I've led a team I've done you know and if you actually start looking into actually what you've done not just the the actual you know what skills you were using not just the actual incident as such yeah then you start thinking oh bloody hell actually yeah I'm I'm really quite good at it I'm, right? good, at this, I'm yeah. good at this and I can do anything I want you know and it will be to the detriment of the police service because the really good ones will just go I'm going to go and do something else yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you're right. I mean, the, the uh, Sir Clive Woodward calls it the teacup moment, thinking clearly under pressure, okay? And I think that 98% of the people that I worked with over 30 years could do that. Yeah, there's always one or two who couldn't think clearly under pressure. But, um, but yeah, so, so, you've got, so your branding is, is paramount, isn't it? Because you actually, like us, ex-job, wherever you look, you'll see the ex-job logos, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And we're prolific, and I know that you are prolific as a business. How important is it to maintain that on-course branding, the Disney branding, making sure that if it's Pocahontas, it'll have Disney underneath it? Yeah. How, how important is that to you as a business? That's really important, I think, for, for us as a business now. because So we've just done, funny enough, we've just done this last year a whole brand refresh, built a new website, and really invested a lot of money into branding, Um which some people would say, well, why have you done that? But actually, when you go through the whole process of doing that and working out what your kind of values are and the mission and everything else and, and putting a proper brand together, there's actually a lot. It's not just a logo, basically, is it, a brand? No, absolutely. Um, so we've done that whole process this year because we wanted to build it ready to then grow into franchising. Um, 
And there is a whole movement in the estate agency industry at the minute where you can become um, a self-employed estate agent like they do in America and Australia and this kind of thing. And so what they do is they work through what they call a brokerage um, and there's a couple called Keller Williams in the UK and um, EXP, and they're they're growing uh, really well. To be fair, yeah. um, my issue with those they're good for some people. Uh, yeah, there's a place for everything ultimately, but for me, like if I'm in Chelmsford, you'll see Charles David Casson everywhere. Yeah, and people still know my personal brand. They don't actually a lot of the time they they recommend Matt or Neil Baldock. Yeah, they do. I, I've seen it on than, social media. Yeah, yeah, so they'll recommend us from that company. But then if I have, like, if Paul Maleri starts in Whittam, let's say, which is only up the road, but we, but you're not branded as Charles David Casson and you've just got, like, a little brokerage underneath you, there's no brand attrition to know that, oh, this brand's growing, or, yeah. like, you know, oh, well, yeah, they deal in Chelsea, they deal in Whittam, we'll do business together. So that's the thing for me. I think the UK is a brand-centric like oh. country, we recognise brands, we like brands. And, um, yeah, so that's the reason we've made that decision to go down that route, um, that even if people come in, because you can join us as, like, a self-employed agent. Yeah. Um, there's room for that, but it's, it is under our brand because we want to help you grow a business rather than yeah. just become self-employed. And equally, if you've got somebody in Whitsum and they see Paul Maleri working with Charles David Casson and there's nobody in Brentwood, then all of a sudden Joe Bloggs will be looking at that. But you've got to maintain that connection between the, the the person that's running the business and your own company. Otherwise, your branding stops in the centre of Chelmsford. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I think that's, that's important because the brand needs to grow to then feed back to the agents. Um, but, yeah, so we've got, like, brand guidelines and a lot of control sort of measures around that and that's not for everyone by the way like people there'd be some people that just couldn't work like that they'd be like well Neil you're telling me what to do all the time I'm like you know I've bought this franchise or I've paid into this model and I I, I, you know I don't want to be told what to do because it's my business um that's fine just run your own business then but then you don't get all the benefit of everything we've built and what we, we, we can give you yeah and the support we can help you to grow um but I think it's just it's different types of people. Some people, like I wouldn't see it like that. I would see it as, okay, this is a, a way to accelerate my growth, learn from past yeah. mistakes, that I don't have to make those mistakes myself. Um, and I've just got a, a model that can help me grow a business. Yeah. But, yeah, it's different types of people, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And as, as a recruitment company, we collaborate with a number of different areas. Um, and you're always conscious of the fact that... You, you know, you want to do the collaboration. You want your name on the on the headed paper. But sometimes you've got to be earning that that pound note. So you know, it's yeah, yeah. it's it's a difficult it's a difficult dilemma. So what happens next? What what's going to happen next in yours and your brother's world with regards to business? Yeah. So I think um, sometimes the other thing to say is like sometimes we have to like, and we've done a bit of an exercise in this this year is focus a bit as well because there are so many opportunities mm. you can end up getting into too many things. So. Basically, we this next year we're growing our core business, our, like Charles David Casson Sales and Lettings Agency, and we'll be doing that through some acquisitions as well. So we're we're already in the throes of buying an agency in Wickford, um, and we'll be kind of continuing down that route. The franchising inside of it um, and helping other people start a business within a state agency is like a, a key growth area for us, um, and the HMO network, which is. As I say, like a membership model for specialist HMO managers, we're growing that as well. 
What's the, what, what's the contingency? You know, God forbid it ever happened, but, you know, from a business perspective, contingency around another COVID outbreak, because that must mm. have really hit you guys hard. Yeah, we, funny enough, we can't really complain about the COVID outbreak because our business took off a bit. We actually entered it with six of us, um, including me and my brother, and came out of it with 17 of us. Wow. Um, but then uh, we've had to sc- yeah, we've scale scaled back. that back yeah. a bit, so we've reduced the headcount because actually it's very easy when you're growing fast uh, and there's lots of money about to spend money that you don't need to spend. Yeah, absolutely. And you just employ people and then you think, oh, okay, and, and we can do the same uh, with this, with less people, basically. So we, we the hard times make you more efficient, I think, don't yeah, they? Yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. And we're all going through it because um, companies, whoever you're working for, they're looking at their efficiencies as well. So yeah. you can be competitive and work within their efficiencies, then you're 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 a you're on a winner. Yeah, but I suppose so. Our contingency really is just to um, the COVID thing. The reason we were so good for it was the sales market stopped for three months. Yeah. Like if you were just an estate agent, uh, like just selling houses, that would have been a really hard time. Um, so that's why we have a lettings business. Um, because it's yes, it's hard to work, and it's there's a legislation around it, and processes and all the rest of it so some people don't see it as so sexy as selling that million pound house but every month it pays us um and it's got a value to it as well which can be sold yeah absolutely when you want to or if necessary yeah and it's got a run rate hasn't it because it just is it's perpetual business you've got if you've yeah. got somebody who's on a 12 month um contract you've got that money coming in for for 12 months and you yes. know for well that someone else is going to rent after that why would I come to you as a business if I was looking for somebody to sell or looking for a property to rent? Why would I come to your company? Yeah, I think because we're experts at the end of the day. We've got a lot of, um, especially in Chelmsford, we've got a lot of local knowledge and lettings. We don't need so much local knowledge, but what we do need is the expertise um, in terms of the legislation and everything like that. So one thing is we are experts. Like everybody that works here is is well trained. Um, me and my brother have been doing this a long time, and we're we're experts in our field. And we're not arrogant about that, but we just we are we we believe in ourselves. Basically, um, we've got a lot of processes, so we don't just take a property, stick it on right move, stick our thumb in the air, and see what happens. We've got um, a proven process, um, a marketing process, which is like a six step thing to get the maximum price for it. Uh, we don't throw all of our eggs in one basket and throw everything at it at once because if it doesn't sell, then where have we got to go? We like st- we've got a staggered approach, which is which is proven basically. So really, it's just yeah, and we're good at negotiating and getting the best result for our clients, and our service is good. And I think as long as you provide a good service, then um, people will come back. And you're massively accessible. You, you in this area, everybody knows you. Your social media profile is good. You're your overall footprint is fantastic and we'll be putting all your links um, for your businesses on on the page when we release this episode Neil before I conclude this interview is there anything you'd like to add alter or correct no I think um, only for me it's just like I think people should believe in themselves and uh, that's maybe not something I knew when I was in the police and it's something that's come with a few years of business but um yeah, and some people think it's a bit, uh, yeah, positive mindset and all that's a bit weird. But just believe in yourself and actually 
back yourself and look at the skills you've got um, and don't be afraid to uh, step outside the box. Neil, so you made it quite clear that you're quite happy to assist the mental people and get them into this business world, you know, this business model, support them, get them to buy into your business model because, you know, it's a fantastic concept. How would they get hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, probably easiest is my email address, which is um, neil, N-E-I-L, at charlesdavidcasson.co.uk. Uh, um, you can find me on LinkedIn. I mean, I'm everywhere on social media, yeah, Neil, neil Baldock, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Um, yeah, or our office number is 01245835859. Brilliant. And as I say, we're going to put all your links onto this page. And I wish you every success for 2023. Thank you very much, mate.